Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning, everyone. So glad you all came inside. And I saw that some of you are streaming us today. I hope you did get the message. Uh, At any rate, we will do the uh, outdoor service next week, Lord willing. In about a half hour, you're going to see why we made the change. (laughs) I was looking at the radar, and I was like, yeah. It was probably good not to get totally soaking wet. So uh, I'm going to sit today again. Uh, Nothing to do with the lawn chair this time. Uh, I've spent the last couple years, I have this great podiatrist, and I've been fixing my feet. And I wake up and I can actually walk without pain anymore and stuff, but I had a little procedure done on my feet, so my left foot's still a little tender. Anyway, I don't need empathy, I just need time to heal. Because <laughs> originally, this was going to be outdoor, right? And someone else was going to be doing the service, so I mixed the 31st for today. And anyway, so today, I'm going to be speaking to you about divine dis- And uh, Gabby read Acts chapter 9, we'll come back to that in a little bit. But foundationally, as we go into today's message, I wanted to look at the, the difference between interruption and disruption. Now, how many of you off the top of your head know that, besides Marilyn, if you're not named Marilyn? Interruption, the act of interrupting or breaking in upon, the state of being interrupted, a break, a breach, caused by the abrupt intervention of something foreign, intervention, or interposition, obstruction caused by breaking in upon a course, current progress or motion, stop hindrance, Temporary cessation, did everyone hear that? Temporary, intermission and suspension. Disruption, the act of rendering asunder or state of being rent asunder or broken in pieces, breach, rent, rupture. They sound a little bit the same, but I want you to catch this part. An interruption to the regular flow or sequence of something, a continuing act of disorder. Interruption has to do with temporary and life will go back to normal. Disruption has to do with life ain't going back to normal. Okay? It's going to change, and it's going to change forever. Now, to distinguish um, this again, uh, a temporary stoppage and interruption, kind of like Roger's network last week. (laughs) It interrupted your life for a day or a weekend and your debit purchases and a few things like that. That was a temporary stoppage, right? It was temporary. We got over it. Life went back to normal. Your phones are working again. I mean, mine never stopped. I'm with TELUS, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> when you're dealing with interruption, you always wait for the world to go back to normal. Um, you know, when we were kids, um, some of us who are a little bit older remember these days, um, when we watched something on television and they interrupted the television show because there was something that they deemed important, like maybe there's a tornado in your area and you should go down in the basement. Or if the president wanted to talk when you were in the United States. Um, you know, and then after, they would say, we now resume our regularly scheduled broadcast. But the parts of the show that you missed, young people, we missed. We didn't get to go on Netflix and figure out what we missed or our DVR or whatever else we used. There was no digital TV then. 
Um, a disruption is a continuous stoppage or a permanent interruption of things. You know, how many know the world has changed in the last two years? It's not going back to how things used to be. But there's a shift, there's an adaptation to the new, okay? Disruption often creates movement. Interruption paralyzes you, disruption creates movement. You catching this? Okay. When people come to church but have not surrendered their life to Christ, you know those Christmas and Easter Christians? that attend service twice a year and think they did God a favor? None of you, though, because it's not Christmas or Easter and you're here. <laughs> but they, they interrupt their routine to attend church, but don't let it happen too often, right? When you surrendered your life to Christ, there was a disruption of the old man and his ways. A shift in thinking and habits ensued. You move towards a higher purpose in life, serving Christ. You begin to want to be with him and his people, even though at the beginning you don't always like all of his people. <laughs> and years later, you don't always like all his people, but you still want to be with his people. You started attending church things like weekly and sometimes more often than weekly, and you started serving other people in your life. Something changed in your life. There was a disruption. Now, name change was actually a common biblical disruption. Often, God would change a person's name. Now, how many of you know that in Revelation 2.17, it says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious. Any victorious people in here? Okay, so the rest of you are not victorious? Let's try that one more time. Is there any victorious people in here? That's a little bit better. That's like when you're at a um, hockey game and the opposing team scores. I keep, I keep teasing Mitch. I'm like, man, when you get under the anointing, you can't help it, but just talk about that team that you cheer for all the time. <laughs> to everyone that's victorious, I will give some of the manna that's been hidden away in heaven, and I will give each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a that no one understands except the one who receives it. We all get a new name one day if we're going to be victorious. So assuming you live victorious in this life and make it to heaven, okay, you get a new name. But now some of these are very common and you'll remember them. Let's see. Abram got his name changed to Abraham in Genesis 17.5. Sarai got her name changed to in Genesis 17:15, Jacob got his name changed to in Genesis 32:28. Joseph got his name changed to Zaphnathaniah. I didn't expect you to know that. I was just curious. Eliakim got his name changed to Jehoiakim. Madaniah got his name changed to Zedekiah. Pasher got his name changed to Magar or Misabib. 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 Either way. I highly recommend that if a prophet's bringing forth the word of the Lord, you don't stand up after him and say exactly opposite of what he just said. Because then they usually come back and they prophesy again to you. There was another guy named uh, Hananiah that prophesied against one of those guys. It didn't work out so good for him. 
Daniel got his name changed to Belteshazzar. Go into the New Testament. A guy named Simon got his name changed to... Is it Peter or Paul? Peter. Okay. And then we read about a guy named Saul that got his name changed to... Okay. How many know that when God changes your name, he disrupts your life? Because names are important and names have meaning. And when he changes the meaning of your name, when he gives you a new name, he's changing the direction that your life is going. And some of you are like so excited about that. But see, Paul was walking down the road to Damascus and he thought he was doing God a favor by arresting all these followers of the way, these Christians, these Christ followers, because he was a religious man. And in his religion and the legalistic lifestyle that it created for him, he thought that he was serving God. Has anyone had the legalistic lifestyle in your history? And then one day you came to Christ and you found freedom beyond your wildest expectations and dreams. But Paul was walking down the road to Damascus thinking he was doing God a favor, arresting these followers of the way. And then what happened is, Jesus confronted him. There was a disruption in his life. He found himself on his face with a bright light and a voice was speaking to him and then he was blind. Okay. Three days later, now think about this. Ananias, a godly man, who's a follower of the way, follower of Jesus, he's praying and God says, hey, Ananias, go lay hands on this guy named Paul, Saul. And then Ananias has a little conversation with God. It's actually a little argument with God. Do you know who that guy is? You don't know who that guy is, God. Apparently, you don't know who you're asking me to go lay hands on, so let me explain it to you. Creator of the universe, who spoke me into existence and holds the universe together by the word of your power. Just in case you're confused. Humans are so funny. Especially when we try to argue with God. And God's like, uh, no, I gave him a vision and told him a guy named Ananias, that's you. He saw you come and lay hands on him so he could see again. Now, did you catch the irony in that? He saw you coming to lay hands on him while he was blind. Okay. But Ananias was obedient. When God interrupted Ananias's life, it was a temporary disruption, so he had to go across town to Street Street and lay hands on Paul, and then Paul got filled with the Spirit and then baptized. Then 13 years later, he wrote most of the New Testament over the rest of his life and brought the message of hope to the Gentiles. And if you're non-Jewish, thank God that Paul took the message of hope to the Gentiles. That's why we're here today. But God also um, changed Paul's life that day. Now, I want to pick up in Philippians, the third chapter. Now, Paul is kind of reflecting back on his life in Philippians 3. He's reflecting back on kind of a little bit of his journey. And he starts with, he's talking about all the qualifications he had in the natural realm. Through his lineage and training and birthright. And he said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew if there ever was one. Okay, this is Paul's 
pedigree. This is his, this is background, right? I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Wow. Move over Paul. Paul's in the room. He's the righteous of the righteous. He's the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the up-and-coming star in their sect, right? And then he goes on and says, I once thought these things were valuable. Sounds like a man whose life was disrupted one day on a road to Damascus. But I now consider them, or now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. See, he started developing this relationship with Christ and it changed his perspective on everything, including his education, his background, his history, and his lineage. So the things he used to think were important were no longer important. I don't know about you, but when you come to Christ, the things that you used to put emphasis on suddenly pale in comparison to what's eternal. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. In other words, Paul, in his desire to gain Christ in relationship with Christ, was willing to put aside everything else. He laid it all aside, counts it as garbage, and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. And the truth is, have you ever tried to obey all of God's law? Like, let's just go through the Ten Commandments for a second for fun. I'll even skip some of them just to... Has, has anyone ever killed anyone? I don't want to see hands. Has anyone ever said, I hate you? Because by the intent of the law, if you've hated someone, you're guilty of murder. Has anyone ever told a lie? Even a white lie? Is there such a thing? My kids were asking me about magic one day. What's the difference between white magic and black magic? Nothing. It's all appealing to a supernatural source outside of God for power. It don't end where you want it to. Oh, I was going through the Ten Commandments. Have you ever lusted after someone or something that wasn't yours? Okay, I've gone through three of them, and most of you are three for three. So when Paul's saying, I was so zealous, I harsh, and for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. <laughs> Maybe outwardly he did. But what, tell me what you're really thinking, Paul, right? And that's why he realized he had this great need for Christ. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And then he says, I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things or I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. 
See, in Paul's life, his legalistic religion became a living relationship complete with the demonstrated power of God. And now he cast aside all of the former stuff and he focuses on Christ, Christ crucified. He has to suffer in this life, and he did, more than most of us ever will. And some of you should say amen there because you don't like suffering, right? How many like suffering? Okay, the rest of you that didn't say no, you like suffering? Okay, maybe I should just stop and pray. (laughs) So we're talking about these divine disruptions. Paul was a pretty righteous guy by natural standards. He was a guy that lots of people looked to. But the truth is, he wasn't as righteous as he thought he was. And one day, he encountered God, and God disrupted his life, and his life changed forever. Let's look at someone else whose life has changed. And there's, there's many people whose life changed throughout the scriptures. There's many accounts of this. Uh, Jonah's a good example of that. Let's, let's, let's look at maybe chapter one and maybe I'll jump to four later for the book of Jonah. Has anyone ever read Jonah's story? I'm always fascinated by Jonah. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, Amittai however you say that. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, now, Jonah's a prophet of the Lord, right? And his job is to tell people what God is saying and do what God says. Any Christ followers in here? If you're a Christ follower, your mission is to obey Christ and do what he says. Okay? Now, The Ninevites and the Israelites were not friends. They weren't even frenemies. They were just enemies. They hated each other. The Israelites did not like the Ninevites, and the Ninevites were very wicked people. They did all kinds of horrible things. So Jonah, God's prophet, it says, got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, How many of you think that's a good idea? You haven't read the book if you do. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, the other direction. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, the last time I checked, God who is all-knowing and all-powerful, you think by driving across town you're going to get away from him? I was young and dumb once. I knew God called me into ministry, and I thought, I will specifically pick a Bible school that focuses on missions and youth ministry and music. And then while I was there, they instituted the pastoral studies program, so I ended up in pastoral studies. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha, God has a real funny sense of humor sometimes. (laughs) He got me where he wanted me, (laughs) just like he'll get you where he wants you. Just like he got Jonah where he wanted Jonah. Jonah took it the hard way, though. You'll learn in life there's the easy way. Then there's the other way. (laughs) And then it says, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. that's, That's a pretty good storm if it's threatening to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted out to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Didn't help. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. 
When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Oh, man. And God even arranged that to fall on him. So all of a sudden, all these guys look at him and go, what did you do, boy? What did you do, man? Um, Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Okay. Man, do people have a lot of questions. If I was Jonah, I'd be like, okay, okay, one at a time. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. (laughs) Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? So Jonah, the guy, he was, he was a little bit out there. Now, now, I think about this. If you were Jonah in that situation, okay, and you had all these people's lives in danger because you weren't obeying God, wouldn't you just say something like, how about we just turn the ship around and drop me off at Nineveh on your way? Anyone think that might have been a viable solution? No. Jonah, he was an all or nothing kind of guy. What do you say? Throw me into the sea. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Jonah said, it'll become calm again. I know this terrible storm is all my fault. It says, instead, the sailors rode harder to get the ship to land. Nice try. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. They cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin. <laughs> and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you've sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. I bet that got those sailors' attention. I bet for the rest of their lives, instead of calling out to their other gods, they prayed to Jonah's God. So even though Jonah was disobedient, he went through some stuff. God took that situation and turned it around and ministered to some people along the way that weren't in the original plan. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. How do you know? God interrupted Jonah's life one day and said, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach to them. And Jonah said, "Uh uh-uh. So God had to disrupt his life. And Jonah's life was never the same, or so you would think. I mean, how many of you have spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish? No? No? And, and I'm always fascinated by this story because um, in this, in the disruption, it, re- it revealed Jonah's heart to the Lord. And Jonah was an angry, bitter, selfish man. And you see this if you read chapter 4. And he's still angry and bitter and selfish, even after he was forced into obedience. And, you know, the, the little shade thing comes up, and then the worm eats it, and he's yelling at God, and he's like, I'd rather die than see these people serve you. I'd rather see them destroyed. I'd rather die than see them better. When God asks you to do something you don't want to do, like Jonah, we find reasons and ways not to obey him. No, none of you have ever done that, though, right? You change churches. You move across town. You get involved in something that takes you away from what you're supposed to be doing. 
Some isolate from people, some isolate from relationships, some backslide, some are just angry and stubborn and refuse to obey what God's asking them to do. But let's think about this logically. The Ninevites were the enemies of Jonah's people. They were cruel and wicked. Why would God want to save them anyway? They deserve what they get. You ever thought that? How many know they had it coming for what they did? Sadly, more often than not, our prayers are God punish them. Judgment now. And then we get frustrated. God, uh, where's the judgment, God? Why isn't the judgment here? Doesn't the Bible tell us in Luke 6 we're supposed to bless our enemies and pray for them? Are you frustrated with the results you're getting? How's that working for you? How's your anger and rage against God and your demands for his judgment working out for you? Why don't we just obey him and start blessing our enemies and praying for them? Jonah's disobedience forced a disruption. There was a storm, there was a fish, it ends up with Nineveh, and he ends up there anyway. And I always laugh about how God took that situation that was really messy. And you take the Ninevites who worship this king of the sea or this god of the sea, and all of a sudden a fish spits this guy on the beach after he's been in its stomach for three days, probably bleached white from the acid in its stomach. And he starts saying, repent. Well, that would get your attention, wouldn't it? If you're worshiping the god of the sea and all of a sudden the people see this fish spit his messenger out on the beach. It says the whole city repented from the king down to the lowest one. But then he ended up in Nineveh anyway, still angry. Even after God saved the sinners, Jonah was still upset and wanted them judged. He would rather die than see them saved. Interesting. God's final words to Jonah were really a rebuke. The bitterness in his life against those people and his failure to make the transition to God's way, it really uh, destroyed much of his life. Read the end of chapter four. So then, that leads me to these disruptions when God gets involved in our life. He disrupts our life. In First Peter, Peter's another one who had his life turned around. How many know that? Peter's life totally changed. First Peter 2.9. But you are not like that, for you're a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'm not sure what your life looks like today. Is there shame? Is there sin? Is there destruction? Is there pain? Because, you know, Jesus, when he went to the cross, made a way for you to shift into righteousness and right living. He made a way for you to shift into dignity, into life eternal. He made a way for you to shift into salvation. But the choice is really yours at the end of the day. You have to choose if you want to die to yourself, your selfishness, your selfish ambition, in your ways, and start taking on the nature and the character of Christ and doing it God's way. He gives you that choice. So many people struggle at that moment and say, God, why do you give me a choice? Because my flesh wants to serve itself. But if your spirit is alive before God and it's, it's serving him, then you're going to choose to overrule your flesh and lay down your life. I'm sure the Apostle Paul, as he was walking through the journey and he was shipwrecked and he was stoned and he was beaten and he was left for dead and they were trying to kill him everywhere he went, and the Judaizers would chase him out of town when he started making some headway in their synagogues. 
I'm sure that if he had a choice, his flesh would have said, uh, God, can't I just find a quiet little villa on the seaside and fish, make tents, live a quiet little happy life? But God called him to change the world. And the truth is, God's calling you to change the world around you. You can transfer to the kingdom of life out of light out of the kingdom of darkness. If you're in the kingdom of darkness, God wants to transfer you into the kingdom of light. It's up to you, though. You have to make that decision. Do you want to be a Christ follower who takes on the nature and character of Christ? Or do you want to follow self? Only you get to choose that. No one chooses it for you. See, the context that I just read to you from 1 Peter 2.9 you're a chosen people, royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession, it starts with get rid of all the evil behavior in your life. See, when God breaks into your life at salvation, there's a disruption that happens. You change allegiance. You transfer your allegiance from Satan and self to the king, Jesus, who's on the throne. Why don't you all stand up with me? Kevin, just bow your heads for a second. I don't normally do that. It's normally every eye open. But I want you to just look within for a moment. Examine your heart. Ask yourself a couple questions. Lord, am I willing to be obedient to you no matter what the cost? Father, is there unforgiveness in my heart towards others? Is there anger towards you and others? Is there bitterness? If the answer to some of those questions is yes, you need to have a conversation with God. Father, for everyone struggling right now with anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, I ask you to help them to lay it down at the foot of the cross again and again and again. And today, Lord, we want to take on your nature and your character. We release forgiveness as we receive forgiveness. And we thank you that you will help us to bless those who curse us. You will help us to be kind to those that take advantage of us and are mean to us. And Father, for those that have mistreated us, help us to pray for them. Lord, we choose as a people today to bless our enemies. We choose. Father, I thank you that as we go through life, there's times you interrupt what we're doing and get our attention, and there's times you disrupt what we're doing and change the direction that we're going. In those moments, help us to be sensitive to all that you want to do. And Lord, as your people today, you know, we're all gathered together. The extended family is all together. Instead of splitting the family reunion each week into two parts, we did it all together today. So Lord, thanks for sending the rain today so that we could all be together. But as we come to the table, we're going to do that together too. And Lord, as we have the bread in our hand and... You know, I always break it just like his body was broken. And Father, this is our meal to remember, the covenant meal to remember what you did for us, your sacrifice. And I thank you, your broken body made a way for us to be whole. In your brokenness, Lord, you restore every broken place. Father, I speak life and healing over everyone in this room and everyone listening today. Lord, restore our bodies to wholeness in the name of Jesus. Father, restore the minds, even the mental health challenges, Lord. Fear and anxiety and all kinds of other disorders, we speak peace and life to the minds. And we receive healing 
We receive grace. We receive life in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we have the cup in our hands, the blood of the new covenant, I thank you that the blood of Jesus is powerful. And by my faith in your blood, Jesus, I can receive eternal life, forgiveness of sins, just like my friends can receive eternal life and forgiveness of sins. So Father, as we purpose to release others who have wronged us today, who have sinned against us and have mistreated us, that's not easy, so give us the grace to forgive. Sometimes we do that again and again and again because there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of emotion involved, but we release. Right now, Father, I thank you for grace to release. On the same note, we need to receive forgiveness for all the times we've missed the mark. We've missed what you've been trying to tell us to do. Lord, I thank you that in the interruptions and disruptions of our life that we can be obedient to you most of all. Lord, wherever you say to go, we will go. And whatever you say to do, we will do. And whoever you say to speak to, we'll speak to. Help us to obey instantly, boldly, courageously, and fearlessly. Because when you give instructions, Lord, we, your servants, want to obey. And Father, I release the curse off of the lives of your people today. I release bondages off of the people today. And I thank you that it was for freedom that Christ came. So today, Father, I thank you that we have a covenant with you to walk in freedom here on this earth today. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor RJ, for uh, that somewhat sobering message. <laughs> But it is good to be reminded that when God interrupts or disrupts our life, that there is a better plan, and God's plan is always better than our own. Amen. Thinking of divine disruptions, uh, can you think of the last one you had? I had one last week sitting in the front yard in my rocking chair watching the world go by, content that that was going to be the rest of my day. My wife looking at her screen men would relate to this. She, she went, uh, oh, it hits you right here, like everything's going to change real quick. She mentioned a lady's name in this church, said what she was going through, definitely a spiritual attack. And we instantly start getting involved in prayer for this lady. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool that when you're obedient to what the Holy Spirit wants to do, there's, there's like an attitude rises up in you. This ain't right. We ain't putting up with this nonsense. As, as I think of that, I think of Wednesday night here, they asked people to come up for prayer. They were lined up from Greg and Lisa almost down to where Jeremiah is at. People that need us to be the spiritual warriors we've been called to be. As I was thinking of that this morning, I thought I looked in the congregation, I thought like half of these are probably prayer warriors. And God said, no, more than half love to get involved in other people's situations but i just I, I mentioned that for a divine disruption you have to come and tell us that you have a need and we're going to get involved and uh, as far as divine disruptions i believe this year you're going to see a whole bunch more as the spirit of god is poured out upon this place we're looking for divine intervention and people's lives changed 
So, WCF, you have been equipped. Go and be the church. Amen. Jesus. Hey, you guys. You feel free to join us. Youth, we're going to need you. We're going to need you as leaders for the rest of the congregation to come and sing with us. As we go out today, we're going to just do a song to see you out, but feel free to come Amen. to the front and worship with us.
to the